As we move through human history, there is this one constant. The kingdom of darkness opposes the kingdom of God. There are keys to understanding this as these two great themes of scripture advance in the earth. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon. Now continuing in Revelation 14 at verse 14, John said, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the crowd, on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Let's pause there. Uh, this is the time of reaping. Uh, it'll be followed by a similar action, uh, but a different result. Just some comments as we go. A white cloud and one like the Son of Man. We see the cloud featuring very prominently in Scripture. One of the earliest manifestations of a cloud is when the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, draped in a cloud. In that case, it was not a white cloud, it was a thick, dark cloud. Because here, there was, this was a picture of yet being veiled. Mankind is not able to stand in the presence of divine uh, revelation and revealing um, until he has been prepared to do so. Christ came uh, to the earth and died, and upon his ascension to heaven, there's a reference to another cloud, uh, and that's the clouds of heaven uh, receiving, receiving him out of their sight. So Christ, in a sense, re-entered a mystery sent the Holy Spirit with the specific intent of revealing that mystery and revealing the mystery to the church. So the man who ascended up and the very act of his ascent was an indication that he resumed a prior position, uh, the one he had before he came into the world, veiled as it were, if you use cloud there in one of its many meanings as covering, having the effect of veiling. Uh, the revealing of Christ, of course, would come by the Holy Spirit and would come through the church, which is His body. So to speak of uh, one like the Son of Man sitting uh, on a cloud 
may well be a reference to some form or act or activity of the body of Christ. Uh, here he is revealed, whereas previously in his appearing in clouds uh, he has been veiled. One of the reasons that this does not appear to be uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself but merely an appearing like him which would be his likeness is in his body. Uh, on a cloud would simply mean, and on a white cloud would simply mean he's no longer veiled and this would suggest a gathering in to the body of Christ of those who are about to be reaped from the earth. One of the powerful uh, statements that supports that idea, no angel ever gives command to Christ, but an angel who came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him on the cloud said, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time of the harvest has come. Um, we do see, by the way, the angel here comes out of the temple and the reference is to the temple in heaven. The word here for temple is the word naos, N-A-O-S, as opposed to the normal word for temple which is hyreon, uh, the hyreon reference is to a building, a structure, but the naos is actually uh, the dwelling place of God or where God would have dwelt, so the, the sanctuary of God as it were, the naos. So it would appear that there is a communication between the body of Christ in heaven and the body of Christ on the earth. Uh, an angel at that point may well be um, a messenger, well all angels are messengers, uh, but maybe uh, the message is communicated from the body of Christ uh, in its place in heaven to the earth and that communication is the same in heaven and on the earth. Now the methodology by which this is communicated is referred to as an angel but we always know that the one behind any communication within the body of Christ, whether it be the body of Christ in heaven or on earth, is the Holy Spirit. It is not uncommon for the body of Christ in heaven to be referred to as a great cloud of witnesses. So the, the notion of a cloud uh, and one like the Son of Man sitting on the cloud being spoken to by a, an angel or a sent one in heaven and there becoming a corresponding uh, action on the earth 
So it's speaking out of the naos or the temple in heaven to the, to the ones in the cloud as it were or on the cloud um, representing the earth uh, and the revealed body of Christ in the earth would, with the instruction to thrust in the sickle because the time of the harvest has come. If you put that all together it would appear that the message comes from heaven to the saints on the earth who are now glorified. They've come to their point and place of maturity and they're being able to speak with the authority of heaven on the earth. It's the mature saints and to the mature saints is given the command to make these decrees now on the earth, to gather in those who are to be gathered in. And that happens. Very matter-of-factly it is said, He who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. Pretty much like you would in the book of Genesis when it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So it would appear that this reaping is not about the, the message we're used to thinking about, an evangelistic message. No, because you never reap newly planted seed. There's nothing to reap, nothing to harvest. So this command is given as it were to gather up, to gather up those who belong to Christ who are on the earth, who have gone full term and have become mature. So everything indicates here a mature church being called together. This is consistent with the subsequent admonition that is given in the book of Revelation, a few chapters over, (coughs) pardon me, in chapter 17. (coughs) There the message is, there the message is, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Cut your ties of whatever kind they may be, The hour is late, this system, these systems are falling, the harlot church is beyond the point of repentance, her heart is hardened and there is no saving her. She will be destroyed along with the beast that she sits, upon which she sits. Come out of her, my people. But here in just the preface to this process. It is simple that the command is given from heaven into the earth to reap the earth and the likeness of Christ in the earth today is the body of Christ, sitting as it were on a cloud of witnesses or sitting on a cloud unveiled, a white cloud, So he's visible, the body of Christ is visible in the earth and now has the 
the mandate to gather in, to gather in and gather up out of all the nations that which did not receive the mark of the beast, that did not compromise its stance but held firmly to the person and the teachings and the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is done, that is done, they're gathered in. Then another angel came out of the naos, which is in heaven. Another angel comes out of the temple in heaven. Another angel, uh, this angel also has a sharp sickle. Yet another angel comes out of the temple who had power over fire and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, thrust in your sickle and gather the clusters of the wine, of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. You will note that there's a distinction. When it refers to the people of God, that, that harvest, it simply says, thrust in your sickle for the time has come to reap the harvest of the earth is ripe. So in one, in one instance, the, those to be reaped are referred to as the harvest and that would be the body of Christ and all those who belong to Christ. They are to be gathered in as a harvest. But in the second instance, the command is to thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. This is not described as a harvest. This is described for what it is, configurations of clusters of grapes that are fully ripe. This is no one's harvest. God only intends to harvest that which belongs to Him. The rest are subject to His wrath. All of what persons do opposed to Christ have no eternal value. Doesn't matter how much money you made, how big an empire you built, how lauded your name is upon the earth, none of that matters. It's clusters of grape on the vine, but not a harvest. They're gathered in as if they were a harvest, but only to be crushed. Crushed in the winepress of the wrath of God, and that wine is unfit for any consumption. It flows for 1,600 furlongs. This is waste 
of an incredible proportion. What shall it profit a man? Should he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And this shows it as the works of mankind, whatever you dedicated your life to do, now comes under judgment and it's gathered in the fashion of a harvest and it's pressed out so that we know what it is. But instead of wine for the consumption of the king, it is called, these are called the grapes of wrath. I think this is where the author John Steinbeck got the the notion or got the title for his book, The Grapes of Wrath. Or maybe the the song uh, that is very popular, it's one of those American um, anthem-like songs. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, he's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the fateful lightning of his quick and terrible sword. His truth is marching on. The winepress of the wrath of God is the venue in which the grapes of the vine are pressed out and overflow and spill and run for 1,600 furlongs, I'll come to that in a moment, to explain what that is. It's waste. It's really colossal, unimaginable waste. Worthless fruit, ripe, worthless, bitter, tainted, contaminated, unfit for consumption. It's processed in the winepress of the wrath of God. God presses it out. Now, to look at the fruit of that vine and to look at the harvest of the earth from God's harvesting, that which is gathered to the sea, to look at them growing, it may not appear to be much distinction between the great varietals and you surely could not tell while they're yet on their respective vines what what is the taste and whether or not they're suitable for consumption. You know, Jesus Uh, referred to us in the Gospel of John in the metaphor of wine grapes. For example, he said, I am the true vine, which would indicate that there can be false vines. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman who prunes the true vine, 
so that it bears much fruit. And he once said to his disciples, Now are you clean by the words that I have spoken, and you are released to bear much fruit. Any that is any any form of grape that arises that is not properly tended by the wine dresser is really vines that bear no fruit of this kind are cut off and reserved for burning. This is John 14, John 13, John 14, John 15. He develops this principle right alongside the great commandment, the new commandment, love one another as I have loved you, measuring the fruit on the vine by love. The love of self does not qualify. Self-love, that psychological uh, construction is referred to as self-love, that does not qualify as grapes to be harvested for the consumption of the Lord, for the fruit that he consumes is that which he himself, being the vine, he himself produces by connection to and attachment to the Heavenly Father. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father who is in heaven. So I just wanted to do a little bit on the clusters of grapes because it is well represented in the scriptures and although metaphorical, the meaning is well established in plain and ordinary passages of the scripture where strong metaphors are not used beyond the point of the suggestion of an illustration by the metaphor. I am the vine, my father is the husband, or I am the vine, you are the branches, bearing fruit if you remain in me. If, I, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you will bear much fruit. And herein, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. That is distinguished from, as it were, untended wild grapes, maybe bush vines in some vernacular. The wine press was trampled outside the city. That's an indication of a position outside of grace. So it's nothing of the fruit, nothing of the processed result that has eternal value. And blood came out of the winepress. I think it's interesting that instead of speaking of wine coming out of the winepress, it's blood. I think this is indicative of the full cycle of what comes out of Cain. When Cain's activities are mentioned, God said to him, Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The fruit of this grape 
is the blood of the saints. In short, it murders the saints. And the conflation of grape juice slash wine and blood is a well-established principle in the scriptures. When Joseph, when Jacob gave the prophetic words concerning Christ while he addressed Judah, Jacob, speaking of Christ, said, He will tie his colt to the vine and he will wash his robes in the blood of grapes. Jesus is depicted as having a robe on which was dipped in blood and on his uh, on the robe is written and also on his thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the conflation of wine and blood is a biblical principle. It's well established in the scriptures when it speaks of, when it moves freely between the agricultural metaphor and its application to human circumstances. So the blood came up to horses' bridles uh, at the depth of the bridle of a horse for 1,600 furlongs, uh, 1,600 furlongs. This would indicate four by four, which is the perfect square, four by four by a hundred. So it's symbolic. It spreads out well beyond any actual reference to Israel and encompasses, as it were, the whole earth. The whole earth. It's a metaphor for the reaping of the whole earth, even though the scene would appear to be uh, around Mount Zion in Jerusalem. The implications of this uh, apply upon and apply to the whole earth. So the earth is reaped of two crops. One crop is that which is gathered in into the house of God and it will not be this gentle, kind message that uh, we're used to. The other reaping is of those whose lives were characterized by disobedience, even bloodshed. The fruit of that life and the fruit of those lives in the aggregate have no eternal value. Poured out, they are pressed out in the winepress of God's wrath, which is to say the fury of God's indignation will consume the wicked and their works on the earth as the age concludes. And as that occurs, 
the blood will spill or the, the wine will spill out upon the ground and run for uh, a figure of speech meaning the whole earth. It is not fit for any consumption because it lived for itself and dies to itself. When we return, we'll go into the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation where final matters are being summarized. In chapter 16, um, we will see the continuation of that and in 17, there's a specific set piece to focus upon the false church. That's what lies ahead for us in the ensuing messages. I'm Sam Solon. Uh, Join me as we continue our study. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.